Please rise as you are able for the reading of today's scripture. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Show yourself in all respects a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censured. Then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure, and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, as you can see, the practice for the World Cup was a little more than I could stand. Um, I wish it was something more glorious. Um, Willie Swafford came to me and said, boy, it must be tough getting old. Indeed it is. And uh, we welcome you today, and especially on this uh, happy Father's Day, to all the fathers and grandfathers and men in our lives, mentors who've been spiritual mentors, uh, I think we ought to give them a special round of applause this morning as we worship. And then we're blessed to have another group with us today. We have the Snyder Youth Choir that's here, I believe, from Fayetteville, North Carolina. They are directed by Richard Suggs. They're not singing for us today. In fact, they'll be leaving immediately after the benediction, I believe, to go to Woodmont Baptist to sing there, if I'm not mistaken. Susie Reeder, Susie, lift your hand, is the missions director there who actually was James Wells' youth minister in Murfreesboro years and years ago. And uh, we'd like the Snyder Youth Choir. Y'all stand up so we can greet you and welcome you. It's good to see you. And then I, wa I want to say just a moment, uh, I just want to say a word of thanks to all of you who volunteered uh, during our annual conference last week. You were amazing. The comments that we heard uh, from all who shared this week with us in terms of your hospitality. It was just exceptional. Some of you took off work, in fact, to be here just to greet people, uh, these United Methodists, hundreds and hundreds of them who came from all over Middle Tennessee, and we're so grateful, especially to, uh, to our staff and to the facilities crew. Uh, they are the finest of the fine, and I don't know if you know this or not, and I hate to share the family secrets, but Methodist preachers are not always easy to work with. I don't know if you've ever found that to be true, but that is true, actually, and uh, we're grateful to our second milers. Every square inch of this building was used this week and was blessed to be used to serve others. Now, I came down on Wednesday or Thursday with laryngitis during the week, and I almost could not say a word. In fact, I, I was a little suspicious of our intercessory prayer group um, because… Um, 
Uh, my wife's prayers were certainly answered for a couple of days, and then I wound up with this bum foot and all that was going on with that, which caused me to, to miss some of the conference, which was an answer to my prayers. Um, but I have to tell you, it is a sad, sad thing when your preacher can neither walk the walk or talk the talk. That is a bad, that is a bad rap that happens sometimes. And so uh, today, if you'll excuse me, uh, there's too many steps in that pulpit, and I just, I really want to be a little closer to you anyway. And so I'm just going to sit, as was the case by the ancient rabbis in the first century, when a rabbi, the scripture would be read, all would stand, and then all would be seated, including the rabbi who was teaching uh, for the words that he shared in interpretation. The words that Herschel and Sellers shared with us are the most important words that you will hear this morning. We've been thinking together the last six or seven weeks about this theme, heartwarming, which many of you know refers to Mr. John Wesley, the spiritual founder of the United Methodist Church, of the Methodist Church, the Wesleyan Way. It refers to his conversion experience that happened to him on May 24, 1738. He had been a clergyman for 13 years, but faith was largely an act of the intellect until that moment when the Holy Spirit came into his life, and he realized maybe for the first time in his life that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world. He died for John's sins. He died for his sins personally. And when faith becomes personal, your witness goes viral. You can't help it, right? I mean, when Jesus becomes personal in your heart, the faith, the witness of the church goes global. And so we've been thinking about some of the distinctives of the Wesleyan lineage in our Christian faith. And I know we live in a post-denominational age, and, and we are a melting pot of people here, Methodist, Baptist, Catholics, pagan, all kinds who are here, and we're grateful for that. But it is important sometimes to know who your great-great-grandparents are in the faith and to know something about the lineage that has shaped us. And so this morning, I, I want us to think a little bit about this idea of holy conferencing, which we have just completed, holy conferencing, which it's interesting that in the Greek language we were reading texts. Uh, Herschel, you were reading texts that had to do with conferencing. The word conversation was used or sound speech. Did you know in the Greek language that those words conferencing and conversation are almost just alike? And even when Paul talks to Titus about sound speech, He's not just talking about what we say, he's talking about what we do, because in the Scripture, words and works are two sides of the same coin. So I want us to think about this idea of holy conversation or holy conferencing. Notice, please, if you will, that the root of the word conference, what is the root of the word? Confer. Confer. That literally means to compare views or to consult one another, to discuss or to reason together. Now, I could make a case for the fact that, that the Sermon on the Mount was actually a conference where Jesus laid out his program for what a disciple was to be. I could make a case for the fact that Maundy Thursday, the Lord's Supper, was actually a consultation where Jesus brought the twelve close to his side and prepared them for Good Friday. Indeed, 
If you look at Acts 15, it was a holy conference where the church met together in a very divisive, contentious moment between Jews and Gentiles. It was a holy conference. That's the way we know that the Christians in Acts 15 were actually Methodist. They were conferencing. In the Wesleyan tradition, by the way, for the Baptist here, I'm only teasing when I say things like that. In the Wesleyan tradition, we take holy conferencing pretty seriously, don't we? We really do. It's part of our DNA. In fact, in the church, we see conferencing at every local level, at every district level. We have charge conference here, church conference. We have district conference at the district level. In our general area, we have annual conference that we just had this week. In our southeast, we have what's called jurisdictional conference every four years. And the global meeting together that happens every four years or occasionally a special called conference, as we'll see in 2019, is called the general conference And so we're consulting people. We're conferencing people. We don't do faith by ourselves. We do it in community, and we do it through discourse and prayer. It's interesting that Mr. Wesley spoke of holy conferencing as a, listen to this, means of grace. What does that mean? Well, if you were here last week, you know the answer to that. Means of grace, also called works of piety. Piety means devotion. Means of grace are channels or spiritual disciplines or practices through which we go deeper in love with God. And we mentioned six last week. I have them back on the screen today. Worship, prayer, Bible study, the Lord's Supper, fasting or abstinence, and holy conferencing. So here's the thing, if you want to grow deeper in sanctification, if you want to go deeper in love with God and your neighbor, for Wesley, these are the sure and certain practices that will help you get there. We're a conferencing people. The last one is a conferencing people. My father uh, was a Methodist minister, and I tell you, he was Methodist through and through. Conferencing was not only a part of my dad's vocational life, but it actually became a part of our family life. Because every now and then, my dad would announce at the dinner table, tonight, we're going to have a family conference. And I have to tell you, it put the fear of God in us because we knew that somebody was about to be served. (laughs) We knew that somebody was about to be called on the carpet. It was usually a kind of a come to Jesus moment for the children. And, but sometimes it was a moment of deep discernment. My father actually wanted my opinion sometimes, which still slays me. At 13 years old, dad wanted my opinion. It was that kind of father. And so sometimes a conference at our table was a moment of discernment and accountability where we reasoned together. It was a meeting of the minds where we all weighed in on the issue and prayerfully came came to some conclusion or to a consent. The purpose of holy conferencing for Wesley was kind of like that. It's not primarily, isn't it good to know about legislating initiatives or propagating agendas. Not everybody knows that, by the way. But holy conferencing is really not about that. It's about deepening our relationship with Jesus and with each other because haven't you discovered you can't do it by yourself? 
You can't live out this life of faith by yourself. That's why it's so important to have youth fellowship, to have this Snyder group for you all to be together. The closest friends that I had in high school were not those in my school, but those in my church youth group. And we still keep up with each other 40 years later because we had a holistic relationship. Our relationship was centered in something more than math or science or cheerleading or football or whatever. It was centered in something deeper than that. You can't do it by yourself. It takes a village, it takes a team, it takes a family, it takes a fellowship. I don't know if you care anything about the National Basketball Association, but did you know that in the NBA, the finals this year, that it was an interesting matchup. You had the best team in the world against the best player in the world. Now, I've discovered there are two types of people in the sports world, those who love LeBron and those who don't. There's no in-between. You either do or you don't. But in this case, you had the best team in the world, Golden State Warriors, playing the Cleveland Cavs, and who won? The best team or the best player? Best team. In fact, the best player didn't even win a single game. Nothing against LeBron. I'm in the camp that loves LeBron. But the truth of the matter is a good team beats the best player every time. You can make a case for the fact that in the Christian life, there is no room for solo hero leaders. We've already got one. He died for us and rose up from the grave. We don't need another Messiah. We have a solo hero leader. What we need is a team. What we need is a family. What we need is a community. You remember the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together together. Richard Rohr, I love Richard Rohr, the Franciscan monk who once said in his book, Things Hidden, these words, listen to this, I'd rather be connected than privately write all the time. I'd rather be connected than privately write all the time. It takes a team It takes a fellowship. Holy conferencing, I've noticed, becomes unholy when it becomes about whining, winning a debate, choosing sides, or putting somebody in their place that I disagree with. It becomes unholy at that point. Holy conferencing is about speaking the truth in love. Some of you know Shane Claiborne, who lives in inner city Philadelphia, although Shane is actually from East Tennessee by birth. He's a leading figure in this new, this new movement of monastics, interestingly enough. I've heard him speak before. He's sort of the Brian Hicks of Philadelphia. This is what he says. My goal is to speak the truth in love. There are a lot of people speaking the truth with no love And there are a lot of people talking about love with not much truth. You gotta have both. You gotta have both. By the way, there was a great spirit in the conference here this week. I don't know that I've ever sensed a greater spirit, a greater oneness and unity. And it wasn't because everybody agreed with everybody on every issue. It was because there was a deep and mutual love in the house 
for Christ and neighbor, it was because we were centered in worship and missional discipleship, and it was like iron sharpening iron. And when Mr. Wesley mentioned conferencing, however, he wasn't so much thinking about delegates. It wasn't a political thing for him. It wasn't so much about large groups and caucuses. When he talked about conferencing, he really was thinking more about small groups, classes, and bands. Why? Because this is where maturity happens. This is where sanctification happens. Said Mr. Wesley, and I quote, holy conferencing is honest, direct, piercing conversation with other Christians that is intended to help the participants grow in what? Consensus? No. To grow in holiness. To grow in devotion. To grow in love with God. Holy conferencing is not a one-time polite conversation about a controversial subject. It's a focus on the details of individual lives, where we are experiencing God and growing in faith and where we are not. And that kind of conversation, that kind of conferencing dealing with your soul demands a relationship, demands trust and vulnerability and accountability. Sarah Crosby was one of the most important early Methodist women to the movement in the 18th century. At one point, she was noting how important these groups, this conversation and conferencing was to her own personal faith, and she said these words. Listen to this. The greatest means of increasing Christian affection is close conversation concerning the work of God in your soul, speaking without reserve of our trials, our temptations, our sins, our joys, our comforts, and accordingly pleading with God for each other. That's conferencing. You can't do it by yourself. Mr. Wesley, speaking of those who subjected themselves to this kind of accountability, said of them these words, listen to this, their speech is always in grace. Ooh, we could use a dose of that, hmm? Their speech is always filled with grace, seasoned with salt, with the love and fear of God. No corrupt communication comes out of their mouth, but only that which is good, that which builds up and ministers grace to the hearers. And herein, he says, do they exercise themselves day and night to do only the things which please God in all their outward behavior to follow Him who left us an example that we might walk in His steps in all their conduct with neighbor to walk in justice, mercy, and truth. And whatever they do in every circumstance of life, they do it all to the glory of God." It's important to note that holy conferencing is not an end in itself. We don't have conversation and conference, so we'll have a good conference. It is not an end in of itself. It is the means to an end. Junius Dotson was with us this week, African-American pastor, head of discipleship in our denomination, reminded us this week of what happens when a team stays too long in the huddle 
The purpose of the team is not simply to huddle, although as we said last week from Hebrews, we are not to neglect the huddling of the body together. We're not to to neglect the meeting of the body together, but you can't stay in the huddle the whole time. The huddle is where the play is called. It's where the game plan is executed. You need a huddle, but sooner or later, you got to get out of the huddle and line up at the line of scrimmage. Somebody has to snap the ball. Somebody has to run the play. We're to be game changers. We're to change the world. That's the purpose of conferencing. Wesley never said the parish is our world. He said the world is our parish. So works of piety, those works of devotion that get us closer to God, lead to, on the horizontal level, works of mercy. So our love for God leads to humanitarian concerns. So what we're doing here is not just pie in the sky. We need ham where we am, too. It's about, human, it's about loving your neighbor and if you love God, First John says, you can't say I don't love my neighbor. You can't say I hate my neighbor and I love God at the same time because my devotion always leads to compassion. It always does. You see, the, you see it in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, forbearance. Do a fruit check on yourself not on your neighbor, do it on yourself and see where you are. Acts of piety lead to acts of mercy, which includes things like feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. It includes things like befriending the stranger. It includes things like helping the refugee and visiting the sick and imprisoned. It includes things like providing recovery for the addicted and giving hope to those who are hopeless in the margins. Acts of mercy. Let me give you an example. I did a funeral recently for one of our men who's, who, who was in the Passages Sunday school class. Anybody in Passages today? Lift your hand. Several of you were here also for that service. It was a holy moment as we celebrated the homegoing of a man named Mike DiStefano. He worked for American Airlines for 38 years. You know what he did? He fixed airplanes. That was his day job, but his vocation was helping other people in need. That was his real vocation. He was a fix-it guy. His wife, Betty, said in the 48 years of marriage that they had together, she never once had to call a repairman. Now, I shouldn't say that on Father's Day because I'm throwing some of us under the bus, right? 48 years, never called a repairman for anything. I have to tell you, I despise people like that. But if... if <laughs> If, you ever, if you're ever driving down Franklin Road and you see me on the side of the road with my head underneath the hood, I'm not fixing it. I'm praying for it. <laughs> so for heaven's sake, please stop because at that moment, I am a work of mercy for you. Mike could fix anything. He had a neighbor, friend down the road named Nan, and Nan had multiple sclerosis. She couldn't fix anything, including her body. Her caregiver, Gail, said, whenever anything went wrong in our house, we called God first and we called Mike second. And he came 
and he fixed it. That's a man of mercy right there. Acts of piety always, not sometimes, always lead to acts of mercy. Now, I got a letter the other day from somebody I didn't know in Asheville, North Carolina, at a place called the Givens Estate. I think it's an assisted living place. Just out of the blue, dear Dr. Chapel, she writes, I had the delightful occasion to catch the Jubilation Choir concert this morning at Givens Estates. It's in North Carolina. What an inspiring experience it was to hear and interface with this wonderful group. Not only was their music incredibly professional, but their demeanor and sincere interface with me personally and our fellow residents was refreshing. You should be proud of their representation of the church and of Jesus, but also of their representation of everything we hope for in our young people, and today is all too often lacking. Kindly accept this small contribution. She wrote a check. Y'all need to get in the bus. She was so moved. Sometimes, have you ever noticed that just sometimes acts of piety and acts of mercy, they're the same thing. And the Juby Choir did it. I've got the letter. There's one other thing I want to mention and I'm finished. I know you're thinking about your father, your grandfather today. I am too. I, I've been thinking about my dad this morning. I went out to talk to my dad on the Saturday before Easter. His ashes are in a bench at Woodlawn facing the chapel. My dad must have done hundreds of funerals, home goings in that chapel. My mother thought it would be a good idea. My mother's here this morning, thought it'd be a good idea to put the cremains in a bench there, and we agreed it was a great idea. And so I went, I, I usually do this. I go over the Saturday before Easter and have a talk, chat. And I, I told him about you, and he seemed to know all about it. We talked about fishing trips. I even told him a joke. <laughs> and I was just about to leave when I saw this woman over to the left, she was visiting an adjacent grave and she's just waving her hands like this and she was kind of walking over my way and she came over and said, uh, did you know him? I said, yeah, I knew him pretty well. She said, you're his son. I said, right. She said, I thought so. I, I could see it in the resemblance. I could see it in your face. And so I asked her, did you, did you know him? And she said, yes. She said he was my pastor over at Woodbine in the mid-60s. And she said he meant a lot to me, a lot to our family. She said, your dad helped our family through some difficult times. In fact, he said one night we had almost parted ways and he came over to the house and he had what he called a family conference. <laughs> and you know, there's... She said, I can't explain it. I, I don't remember a thing he said, but his presence let us know that we were not alone. And he stayed with us half the night. 
He said, our family stayed together. We're still together. He prayed us through, and I figured you might be his son, and I just wanted to thank you. And I said, thank me for what? She said, for your dad. By the way, she said, what do you do? I said, I do family conferences. <laughs> she said, you're in your father's business? I said, yes, it seems so. And she left. I wouldn't take a thing for that visit, but I tell this to you for this reason. If, if you're a believer, if you're a son or daughter of the Most High God, who wants more than anything to follow Jesus, you're in the family business. <laughs> God has a purpose. God has a task, a calling with your name on it. You are your father's business, and you're in it. And we live in a world that desperately needs to know of the grace of God, and you have it but the only way you can keep it is to give it away. You have to give it away. Piety and mercy go hand in hand. Devotion, compassion, hand in hand. And we do it together <laughs> in this holy family that we call church so that our lives can actually become a means of grace to the world. That's the game plan. And there's no plan B. So that others may experience the heartwarming grace of the redemptive God that we love and serve to the uttermost. That's the play. Ready? Break.